We are in a sermon series on prophets, and if you have not picked up your prophet card, I encourage you to get them. We try to do a good job of handing them out to you as you come in. This week we are looking at Deborah. You'll find her story in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're predominantly going to be looking at Judges chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles or if you have smartphone that you want to go to a Bible app or to BibleGateway.com, I will be looking at the English Standard Version, and we will be looking at a lot of the passage. I'm not going to read through all of Judges chapter 4. I've entitled this morning's message, Don't Let the Great Be the Enemy of the Good. It's actually an adaptation of something that was said by Voltaire, who was an 18th century philosopher, when he said, don't let the best be the enemy of the good. Now, I'm told that because Voltaire spoke in French, that was a better translation of it. I don't speak French, so I don't know. I have to trust that that's the truth. But this line has started to become popular and used in businesses and sometimes by motivational speakers. A lot of businesses want people to understand that they don't have to be the best business. They don't have to be the perfect one. They don't have to be better than anyone else. They just have to be good and be satisfied with being good and doing the best that they can. And when people get fixated on something beyond that, sometimes they miss what's right in front of them and what they have the opportunity to do. I even found this used by a nutritionist. And she said that the problem is, is when people in their health and in their diets try to do the best or have everything perfect, they end up suffering in their own lives. And she gave three reasons. One is because then they have an, an inability to give themselves credit for progress that they've made. So if somebody goes on a diet and they're always thinking, I need to do better, then they miss what's right in front of them, the progress that they've made and what's been going well. She also said that it causes an elimination of essential food groups and nutrients. When people are always searching for something better, they miss what's right in front of them, and it can actually have physical dietary negative effects. And the third reason, she said, is if a person is constantly focused on the perfect, the, the best, getting everything absolutely 100% right, it is a pre-existing condition for developing eating disorders. So we see what happens when we get fixated on things being perfect, better than we could ever even imagine them being, then what we do is we miss what's right in front of us. I like to say the reason that we can accept the fact that we don't need perfection is because God doesn't give us perfection in this world, amen? God does not give us perfection. We have this thing called original sin. The Bible talks about it, where we are created perfect in God's image, but we are fallen. And so sin is something that happens in our lives as we miss a mark. We don't live the way that we should. We hurt ourselves. We offend God. We offend and hurt others. And our whole purpose of being redeemed by God, we're forgiven, we're given a new opportunity, and now the Holy Spirit works in our lives to help us grow and become better, but we never attain perfection in this world. It's an ongoing process. So if we become obsessed with something being perfect or being way better than it is, we need to understand that we're missing the way that God works in our lives every single day. And that's what brings me to the prophet or prophetess Deborah in Judges chapter 4. You see, she never got the best. She never got the best, and she was okay with never having the best. What happened is she 
lived at a time in which Israel had turned their back on God and the Canaanites had sent in armies and had conquered the people of Israel. And so as we end chapter 3 of Judges and go into chapter 4, now Deborah is a prophetess and a judge, and she has the opportunity to challenge her country to realize that they can do better than what they're doing. And she's a prophet, so she sees things. She's aware that God will bring victory, that if the people will come together, they can defeat the Canaanites and they can have their freedom. So she goes to a person who is anything but perfect. He's a very flawed human leader. His name is Barak. And she goes to him and she says, you know, God's given us victory. We're going to defeat the Canaanites and we can take back our land. God's raised you up as a military leader to do this work. But Barak is anything but a perfect general. He's not the kind of guy that, you know, will go in and lead no matter what and has total confidence. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that he's got quite a bit of doubts. And he says, well, I don't know if I can do that. And she says, well, that's okay. Let's work together. I know you can. He says, well, basically, if you'll go with me, then I guess we can put this military conquest together. She agrees to go with him. And she does warn him. She says, you know, the one problem with me doing this and you not just taking your rightful place is you're never really going to get full credit. And then she again says something prophetic, looking to the future. She says, in fact, your credit won't be yours. It will be given to a woman. Now think of that back in a patriarchal time and what that must have meant to him. He assumed she was talking about herself, but she was actually talking about another woman who was going to end the war for Israel who would get credit, and Barak never does become known as an amazing great leader in the Old Testament. He's a judge, he's somebody who God uses, but he's got his imperfections. We would do well to learn her lesson, because the thing that we see with Deborah is she's okay with how things are, and she's able to, I guess we call it, bloom where you're planted. She's able to accept life on life's terms where it is and work within that context. So when I think of Deborah, I don't think of her either as being perfect, but rather the prophet from the Old Testament who reminds us that don't let that vision or that idea or that hope for things to be so much better than they are get in the way of our living our life today. And that got me thinking in our own lives, we probably have had some pretty influential people. So I want you just to take a moment and think of the most influential person in your life. You can only get one. Just one person who you go, okay, this person was amazingly helpful to me. When I did that, I thought of my high school basketball coach. His name was Doug Growth. Perfect? Absolutely not. Overbearing? No, I wouldn't say he was overbearing. Strong? Yeah, he was a strong person. Opinionated? Absolutely. Strongly opinionated. Accepting? Completely. And that's what made him so influential in my life. Not the things that he did wrong, because people could always tell you all the things that he did wrong. I mean, that's one of the great things about being a high school basketball coach, unless you win the state championship, which he did exactly one time a team won the state championship. In fact, it was really worse than that. His second year, 
our team won the state championship, and now he always lived in the shadow of that every year after that, and we never won another state championship. So that year, nobody criticized him, but the rest of the time, trust me, I lived in the little town, there were lots of things pointed out about the flaws with our coach. But he did one thing extremely well, he was accepting. I know that because he accepted me as one of his basketball players. And I saw the way in which he was able to work with anyone. That's what I think we learn from Deborah. This ability to not have everything perfect, you don't have to have things better than they are, but what we learn from her is the way in which she did that is she began, and we see it in chapter 4, we learn to wait until asked. Oh my goodness, would Americans in general and the 21st century Christian church do well to learn this lesson. Verses 4 and 5 in chapter 4, we read these words. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. In other words, she was a prophet, it first tells us. She was a prophetess. She saw things. She was able to see where God wanted people to go. Now, you have that gift sometimes in your life, that gift of prophecy, where you're encountering somebody and you go, I know the changes this person needs to make. I just want to tell them about it. I just want to do their inventory and tell them where they need to change because I can see the changes they need to make. Amen? We see that in people all the time. And that's how Deborah lived. She saw the future. She saw what needed to be changed. But the Bible tells us she was also a judge. And a judge was different in some ways than today, but similar also. It didn't mean she was appointed by the court system to be a judge. She just rose up within the ranks, and she was a person, along with Barak, this other judge, who people would come to, and she was able to make fair decisions. So if there was a problem and something needed to be resolved, people would talk to Deborah, and she had the wisdom to sort things out. But here's the important thing we heard in that text. She let people come to her. How many times do we see something or know something that we just know, if I just tell this person this thing right here, they'll finally figure it out, but God tells us to learn to wait and be patient. You see, Deborah had faith that God would use her. She knew that God was working in other people's lives, and therefore, if she just sat quietly, God would bring the people to her to have the conversations with her. In the new year, we're going to be looking at a book called Bless, and one of the things that Bless talks about is realizing that God is working in your life, but God's working in other people's lives also. So you and I don't have to force it for them. We can trust that God's doing his work in everyone's life, all the people's lives that we know, and therefore we can trust and we can pray and we can believe that in God's right timing, people are going to make the decisions and figure things out with God's leaning, and if they need to come and talk to us the way people needed to talk to Deborah, if we learn to have that kind of prayerful faith, we will be obedient to how God wants us to live. It's also interesting, she was the, and I capitalize this word, only female judge in the Old Testament. Think about that, women. You're living in a patriarchal time, and you are the one woman who is appointed to be a judge. That's an interesting place to be. 
And in that place, she also would have known that she has things that she could tell people. But she also saw things that other people did wrong. She also is one of two people, only one of two in the Old Testament, that's described as both a judge and a prophet. Only her and Samuel. Again, this is a prominent woman. This is a person that everybody in the community would say, Deborah is an important person. She's really got her life together. And she prayed. And she was prayerful. And she knew God was working in people's lives. And she knew that God was in control. And when people were ready, and God had done his work in their lives, she already had the confidence that they were going to come to her and talk to her. Are we able to do that in our lives? Do we rush in and say things far before the time? Or are we able to trust that, you know, God's working in people's lives, and if they want my opinion, they're going to come and ask for my opinion. If I see something that I think somehow might be helpful for someone else, am I able to wait and realize that as long as I'm praying for someone else, I'm doing what God asked me to do? Gets me thinking of Jesus, who certainly is our example of how to live. And the Bible tells us it was towards the end of Jesus' ministry at was his last trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus knew that his time was running out, that there were those who were plotting to take his life. And he's passing through this very insignificant little town called Jericho. And as he's going through Jericho, there's a blind beggar at the side of the road. The guy's name is Bartimaeus. Now, Jesus is Jesus. He knows what's going on. He knew the guy's name before he gets there. He knew exactly what that person needed. But the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus walked over to him and said, hey, buddy, how can I do this for you? Instead, the Bible says that Jesus walked and waited for Bartimaeus to call out to him, and Bartimaeus calls out and says, son of David, have mercy upon me, at which point Jesus goes over, talks to him, starts a conversation, says, how may I help you? Bartimaeus says, I need to be get my sight back. I need to be healed. And then Jesus prays for him. Getting a message here? A lot of times what God wants us to do is to learn to be a Deborah, to learn to be patient and wait for God and not rush ahead because we have this vision of how things should be and we know how people need to live their lives and we know the changes that everybody needs to make and I've read my Bible and I've got it all figured out and we go in and we blurt out something only to make matters worse. I like to give famous quotes, so I'm going to give you another famous quote this morning. It's from my father, he used to say, unasked for advice stinks. <laughs> unasked for advice stinks. I was a young pastor in Lowell. At a very small church, about 25 people. We couldn't afford to heat the upstairs of the church building, so we met in the fellowship hall downstairs. And a young man starts coming to church. I start getting to know him. And I start discipling him. That means we start meeting together for Bible study every single week for an hour. I was praying with him, getting to know him, and starting to realize there were some changes that I really knew that God wanted to make in his life. And I started thinking, I wonder if I should tell him. Now, unfortunately, I didn't take my father's advice, and one time I was with him, and I said, you know, I just want to tell you these things. I just, these are things that I just need to let you know. He was incredibly polite. Like, thank you very much. And as the young people say today, he ghosted me. I never saw him again. And I've thought back on that many times. Why is it so hard just to learn to be 
to sit and realize that God is sovereign and God is working in people's lives and God does have work for us to do, but we can wait for people to come to us. We can realize if God's doing that work in people's lives, the the opening is going to happen and the conversation is going to happen and we don't have to force anything. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Hear that? Those who what? Wait for the Lord, renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait until asked. First thing we learn from Deborah. Another thing we learn from Deborah, because again, Deborah didn't expect life to be perfect. She accepted life on life's terms and accepted people around her the way that they were, accepted her situation for what it was, all the while knowing that God was doing great and amazing things. See, God can be great, but the world is not going to be great. The world will let us down. So another thing we learn from her is to become an encourager. You want God's will for your life? Encourage someone. Lord, what big important thing do you want me to do today? Find somebody and encourage them. Speak words of kindness and love and encouragement to someone. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit uses that. What we find in verses 6 and 7 is that Deborah sensed and summoned Barak, the son of Abinai, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go and gather the men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 people from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the great general and Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. You see, there was a problem. Jabin and Sisera, the Canaanites, had conquered Israel. And it was obvious to anyone who was living at that time that the Israelites were under the control of another nation. And so Deborah summons Barak, this other judge, this very imperfect, flawed person, knowing all the while that God was going to use him. She knew that she wasn't getting General Dwight Eisenhower, who had confidence sending in the troops on D-Day. She knew that she was getting somebody who was kind of conflicted, had a hard time making decisions, had a hard time really stepping forward on faith. And she didn't say, you know, God, I, I'm not going to work with Barak. Why don't you find me the better person? Why don't you give me the perfect guy to go to? Instead, she accepted who it was, and she becomes an encourager to Barak. And the way she does it is she basically asks him a question. She goes, you know, Barak, I've been hearing you talk, and I've been hearing what you've been saying, and your complaints about the Canaanites here. Hasn't God already showed you that he's going to give you victory? Hasn't God already showed you with the things that you're saying that it's obvious that God wants you to lead the troops to defeat the Canaanites? And then Deborah encouraged him. Remember, God's going to be with you. You don't have anything to be worried about. You see, she's not putting pressure on him. She's not coercing him. She's not manipulating him. She's letting him take the lead from the things that she already has heard him say, and she's encouraging him to be the best person that he can be. God asks us not to find perfect people. God doesn't ask us to find the perfect family, the perfect church, the perfect town, the perfect nation, the perfect company. 
God asks us to find the imperfect people in our lives and encourage them. Amen? Hear the difference? God doesn't ask you and me to go find and make everything perfect out there. God asks us to accept the imperfect world that we're given and the imperfect people and learn to be encouragers of them. My mom was a piano teacher out on the prairie of North Dakota. My mom grew up in Ontario and was an amazing classical musician. She then moved to Quincy, where she went to Eastern Nazarene College, and she was well-trained, again, as a classical pianist, and she learned to start giving piano lessons. My mom and dad felt a call to go out to the prairie, and they ended up in little towns like Benedict, North Dakota. Do you know what Benedict is? It's a town of under 90 people. It's a place where there's a lot of dirt and not a lot of people. But my mom was an encourager, and she wanted to bring her love of classical music to the prairie, so my mom became a piano teacher. Every single town that my parents went to, my mom would set up a piano studio, but she always did it the same way. She'd go to the town principal at the high school, and she'd say, I'll make a deal with you. If you give me a place to do piano lessons, I can give you a program, and you don't have to pay me a penny. But the kids in your school will learn to play piano, and then you can release them out, and they can have it as one of their, their classes. Every school in every town she went to took her up on that offer, and my mom taught piano all over the state of North Dakota. When they moved to the town that I grew up in, the town of Winemere, that coach that I was mentioning earlier, Coach Doug Growth, he was still not the high school coach. He was the freshman basketball coach, and so he didn't have the big boy office yet. He had the office over in the elementary school that was above a gymnasium. It was basically a weight room. So you got a weight room and the coach, and that's where they decided to put my mom to teach piano lessons. So my mom was satisfied. She goes up there. People are lifting weights, and she's like, quiet over there. You know, I'm teaching lessons over here. But she also used it as an opportunity to get to know Doug Growth. And she encouraged him. She, she would tell him, you do a great job. It's amazing the stuff that you're doing. You're taking young guys and young girls who are in this school and you're helping them do something important to learn to play basketball. But you know what? Everybody's not a basketball player and everybody's not an athlete. So she also was able to explain to him that just like he was helping people, she was helping people. And there were people who were drawn towards sports there were some who were drawn towards sports and music, but there were some only drawn towards music, and they forged a wonderful friendship. She also used it as an opportunity to be an advocate for her little son, me, who was a violin player, and she knew that playing violin in a town in North Dakota when you're a guy in the 1970s is probably not the cool thing on the block. <laughs> but I also play basketball. And so it came time for our first high school basketball practice, and Coach Growth had now become the head coach. And Coach Growth called us all out to the center of the court as we were getting ready to start the season, and he said, I want you all to know there are no excuses for missing basketball practice. If you're sick, you stay home. You don't come to school and go through school and then say, Coach, I'm too sick to play to go to practice. If you're in school, you come to practice. If you missed a test or you missed a paper, you come to practice. You don't use it as a time to make it up. And if you get a failing grade, you're off the basketball team until you get your grade back up. You get me? You come to practice. He goes, there is no excuses for missing practice unless it's Wednesday 
and you play violin, and you go to Fargo for a violin lesson. Other than that, there are no excuses for missing bas basketball practice. My mom was a Deborah. Well, this week, I was on a little Facebook page from North Dakota. It's called North Dakota Cities and Towns, which I love it because there are no cities in North Dakota. I'm sorry, that's okay, but there aren't. There's 600,000 people in the whole state. The state was bigger when I lived there than it is today. And I was asking a basic question. There was a bookstore I used to go to, and I couldn't remember the name of it. It's called, I found out, Dakota Book Exchange. And when I posted my thing, this is a reply I got, and I'd like to read it to you. Stan Cushing, Weinmere High School basketball player and my piano teacher's son. It was a blast from the past to see your name here. I am Jeannie Frisk, my married name is Pratt, and your mom was my piano teacher from the time I was five until I was 11 or 12. That's when she left Weinmere. And Jeannie ended with these words. It's because of her that I had something to be proud of that helped my self-esteem. See, my mom didn't need to teach in Boston. My mom didn't need to have the greatest piano students. My mom was on the prairie with a bunch of kids who she was able to say, you can learn to play piano. You can be a piano player. You don't have to be a basketball player. You don't have to be a football player. You don't have to be fast or strong or anything else. You can learn to do something that'll make a difference in your life. That's a Deborah. That's what Deborah invites us to realize. You and I don't need to wait for God to give us the perfect people in our lives or the perfect situations. Let's learn to encourage the imperfect people in our lives. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say that again. Let's learn to encourage the imperfect people in our lives. Amen? Amen? That's what God calls us to do. We're all called to be a Deborah. Because if we keep looking for that thing out there, that company that's perfect, that family that's perfect, that situation that's perfect, it's not going to come walking through the door. But God has us right where he wants us to do the work that he wants us to do exactly the way he did with Deborah. We can learn to wait until last, and we can learn to be an encourager. But here's the last thing we learn from Deborah. We can also learn to support even when we don't get everything we want. Because so often we get again fixated on that perfect, that great, that best out there, that we're never satisfied until we get it. And when we're not satisfied with it, we don't really put ourselves into the things and the places and the situations that God has given to us. And so what we hear in verses 8 and 9 is that then Barak says to Deborah, you know, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you won't go with me, I won't. Now there's a general that you want to lead your army, isn't it? Sure, I'll command the forces as long as I can take my third grade Sunday school teacher along with me. That's basically what the guy's saying to her. And Deborah says, I'll surely go with you. But nevertheless, the road which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will give Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. You see, Barak was less imperfect and he needed encouragement. 
Thus, in order for him to lead the troops, he needed a Deborah. Deborah knew that he was less than perfect. She didn't walk around town and say, I got the greatest boss. I finally did it. I finally went to the company where the boss of my company is absolutely perfect. He gets it right every time or she gets it right every time. That's not how Deborah looked at it. She knew that Barak was less than perfect, but she encouraged him. She told him that he was giving up credit. She said, remember, you can do this on your own. Nope, I can't. Fine, then I'll go with you. I'll be with you. She understood that God didn't want her to wait until the perfect general could be raised up. She needed to learn to encourage the people in her life. It's interesting that at the moment in which Barak's talking to her, he's probably thinking, oh yeah, you'll get a little bit of credit, but hey, honey, I'll tell the story. But that's not what happened at all. There's another woman who comes along. Her name is Jael, and she's the one who finishes off the war, and she's the woman that Deborah's talking about. But Deborah's well aware that she's not going to wait until God puts together the perfect army. God's going to put together the army that God puts together, and the victory ultimately belongs to God because God is who's perfect, and we're just imperfect people working with what we have, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform and change our lives as we grow and doing God's work. This is a constant theme in our lives, folks. This happens every single day. We never seem to get everything we want. Now, if you get everything you want, you are dismissed at this point. If life has just been perfect for you and you've had the perfect boss, the perfect family, the perfect country, the perfect town, the perfect church, it's all just been 100%. You don't understand, Pastor Stan. Everything goes exactly perfect in my life. You're now dismissed and we'll all watch you walk out the back exit. Because that's not how life is. You see, the important thing that we learn about Deborah, she helps us live the life that we genuinely live. Which got me thinking back to something I wanted when I was a little kid. A Schwinn Stingray bicycle. Had to be yellow. Had to have the banana seat. I wanted the one with the big handlebars that came all the way down that looked like those big motorcycle choppers. And I told my parents that. I said, that's what I want. That's all I want for Christmas. I even went to Shields Hardware in Fargo. Now, you don't know about Shields Hardware. Shields is a very important place. It is the hardware store in Fargo, North Dakota, that boasts having the largest indoor Ferris wheel. It's true. Probably the only hardware store that has an indoor Ferris wheel. But it does, and it boasts having the largest one. You can Google it and you can see it. It also happens to be a place where when you were growing up in the 70s, you could buy everything at Shields, including a Schwinn Stingray bicycle. So I gave the hints, I told my parents, I planned it, I took them, showed it to them, and it was Christmas morning, and I got up, and I was all excited. I came running out, I looked under the tree, I saw the yellow Sears spider bicycle. Not the Schwinn. And my heart sunk. It had a banana seat. It kind of looked like the Schwinn bicycle but it wasn't the bike I wanted. And I really never appreciated it. I used to drive it around town, 
thinking how much better I would look if I only had my Schwinn bicycle instead of a Sears knockoff bicycle. And finally, a couple years later, I had quit riding it, and a friend of mine, his kid was a couple years younger, said, you don't seem to be using that bicycle. Would you sell it to me? So I went home and I asked my parents. I said, could I sell my Sears bicycle? And my parents said, sure, you don't ride the bicycle anyhow. So I cleaned it up one last time, and I took it for a ride, and I realized it was a better bicycle than I'd ever noticed before. <laughs> I actually kind of liked the bicycle, but now I was selling it. And I sold it to a kid who lived on the other side of town, and I realized I was wrong. That was actually a perfectly decent, good bicycle. And now for the next couple of years, I got to watch a friend of mine ride my old bicycle, loving the bicycle that I never appreciated because I always wanted something better. I always was fixated on the Schwinn and I got Sears. And I think that's what we do far too often in life. We get preoccupied with what we want, what we think would be better, what we think somebody else has, or what we think somehow would be perfect, and we need to support even when we don't get everything we want. Amen? We need to learn to be Deborah. Deborah didn't wait for everything to be perfect. And so at this point, I'd like to end our message with a newsflash. You're going to just see, you know how you have a smartphone and it just pops up and it says newsflash? Newsflash. Your spouse, your family, your church, your job, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors will never be perfect, folks. It's not going to happen. And that's not how life is. What God wants us to understand is to learn to support even when everything isn't perfect. That's who Deborah was. Deborah was a person who literally lived by the saying, don't let the great be the enemy of the good. She gives us an example of how to live our lives in the life that we really have. To learn to wait until we're asked. To learn to encourage the people in our lives and to accept them for who they are. And to realize that God can do great things through imperfect people. And to realize that we can support even when we don't get everything we want because we're not going to get everything we want. But Deborah is a person in the scripture who is a prophet, who shows us how to live our lives today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. We thank you that even though so often in our life we think we need something more or something else or something better, what you're doing in our lives is helping us to learn to be satisfied where we are and see your will in our life today. Help us claim where we are to get our heads where our feet are to accept the things that are happening today in our life and the people in our life and even where you have us. We certainly are growing and for that we give you thanks. And we know those around us are growing. And yet when that prophet moment happens in our lives and we see what can be is so much better than what is, help us still to remain where we are and to encourage and to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray.